Welcome to LEAD. I'm Jordan Ormont, talent partner, Menlo Ventures. LEAD is a podcast for next generation entrepreneurs that focuses on best practices around leadership, culture, and building world-class teams. My interview today is with Admiral Eric Thor Olson, Navy SEAL and former commander of United States Special Operations. Admiral Olson was the first Navy SEAL officer to be promoted to three and four-star ranks. He was also the first naval officer to be the commander of the United States Special Operations, where he was responsible for the mission readiness of all Navy, Army, Air Force, and Marine Corps Special Operation Forces. In this capacity, he led over 60,000 people and managed an annual budget in excess of $10 billion. Admiral Olson fought in the Mogadishu battle, also known as Black Hawk Down, and was involved in the Bin Laden raid in Pakistan. Hi, this is Eric Olson. Eric, it's Jordan Norman. How are you? Hi, Jordan. Good. How about you? All right, my friend. I appreciate you taking the time today. Sure. Happy to. All right. So let's, um, let's dive into this. So in your expert opinion, what is the defining element of an exceptional leader? I think the defining element is, uh, is a courageous thoughtfulness, the ability to learn fearlessly, uh, to not fall in love with one's own ideas, uh, but instead be open to, uh, to differing ideas, but in the end, uh, be able to make a decision. Uh, and implement it, uh, implement it with, uh, with all the authority uh, that that leader has. And who are the leaders you admire the most and look up to? You know, the, the leaders I admire the most, if I told you their names, uh, you would have not heard of most of them. Uh, the leaders I admire are the ones who quietly go about their business uh, making change and having impact. Uh, my Heroes are the ones that uh, that you hear of the least. Uh, so I'll just sort of generally say that that I think that uh, the best leaders are those um, who are courageous, determined, selfless uh, people. I respect as people as much as I respect them as leaders, and so that includes a dose of humility. Uh, I. I I think that um, communications uh, is an essential part of it, the ability to communicate um, up, down, and across uh, is essential, uh, and to actually have those communications be meaningful uh, and with some, uh, with some impact uh, in both directions. So, uh, so I guess that's it. In the SEALs, how much of your success is defined by an individual leader? And how much is defined by teamwork? Yeah, it's teamwork. Uh, but teamwork is not a democracy. Uh, the leader does listen carefully, considers options, asks questions, makes a decision. Uh, the team has to know that it had a chance to make input. Uh, and then it must implement the decision as if it was uh, the team's own. Uh, so you cannot separate the leader from the team. It's not either or. Uh, but it is a well-led team uh, that makes the greatest difference with the, with the leader uh, willing to accept full accountability uh, for the decision once it's made and the team uh, piling in to execute it. So the SEALs are known for being you know, the best in the world at what they do. You know, in a world full of mediocrity, 
And how do you separate the good from the great? And what are the qualities that are most important? I think the qualities that are most important are uh, loyalty and trust. Um, the good are separated from the great through observation under pressure, physical and mental pressure. Uh, I think that uh, the way we do it in the SEAL community is to take eager volunteers and and have them pass through a number of filters, physical filters and mental filters, uh, over an extended period of time. It's It's pretty easy in the first week of SEAL training to figure out who's strong and even who's smart. Uh, but you can't figure out who's really tough, who's determined, uh, who won't leave their teammates behind until you've had them under some uh, under observation for some weeks or, in our case, months. I think the pressure is important, and the pressure is continuous. It can be uh, any of a number of different kinds of pressure that are natural or induced, and it can happen in a military or a private sector environment. But I do believe that people can fake character uh, when they're not under stress and when not much is on the line. Uh, but when they are under stress and there's a lot on the line, a real character comes out. And I think I think leaders ought to seek uh, opportunities to... Uh, to observe that. And can you usually tell within a short period of time if someone will make for a good SEAL in the initial training? You can't. No, we, um, I think for some period they thought that but realized they were wrong. But for modern history, I mean, going back 40 or 50 years, the initial SEAL training is at least six months long. And we don't actually award the trident, the symbol of a SEAL that gets pinned on the chest. We don't actually award that. Uh, for at least ten or a half, ten and a half or eleven months uh, after they walk in the front door of SEAL training, so uh, we are always surprised um, by who makes it and who doesn't. Um, if we took bets early on, which we don't, uh, but if we took bets early on, I think that uh, the people would be surprised by how often they lost their bet. Um, there is no stereotype. Uh, there is no physical stereotype, mental stereotype, background. Uh, stereotype of, uh, that would indicate who will succeed. It all comes out uh, over the course of training. Yeah, and do you find that there's consistent DNA across the Navy SEAL teams? Uh, I think that there is no consistent DNA except in attitude. It is a it is a never quit uh, attitude. Um, a problem-solving mentality and a never-quit attitude that uh, helps people be successful uh, over the long course of SEAL training. And that plays out, by the way, across the other services and the specialized training. Uh, where there is a significant attrition rate in SEAL training, it's, uh, it's over 75% of the ones who want to make it, who think they're going to make it, who qualified to walk in the front door. It's fewer than 25% who actually... Uh, eventually pin that trident on their chest and uh, and and I don't think you can you can make a commonality across them except for a fierce desire uh, to succeed that overwhelms any temptation to quit so you, you talk you talked a bit about trust 
and, and in the SEAL team. You know, how is trust built in, in the SEALs? And is it a byproduct of training, or do you work on building trust continually? Yeah, both. Uh, the training requires that you come to trust each other in the course of training because the training is more difficult than any single person can do on his own. And I say his because it's only men so far have gone through SEAL training, although it's obviously recently opened up to women. None have volunteered or started. But uh, the training is tough enough that no person can get through it uh, on his or her own. Uh, And so there is an essential element of trust. Uh, Trust in teammates, trust in them to give you a push when you need it, give you a pull when you need it. They have the same uh, level of trust in you. You you have to be that person who can count on others to carry their share of the load, and then you have to be that person who will carry more than your share of the load uh, when it's required. So the trust is built into the training. Uh, But in the end, it never ends. Um, There are high standards, constant evaluation, uh, continuous peer pressure. Uh, so the trust is not just a product a, uh, of the initiation. Uh, it is a continuous lifestyle uh, in which trust becomes a, an essential element of the teamwork. Everybody's got to know that they're not going to be let down or left behind uh, by their teammates. And that's essentially based on trust that comes over a period of time and under under a series of conditions uh, in which in which the trust is continuously under stress. And, and as a leader, when you see trust broken within the Navy SEALs team, um, can you fix that as a leader? Can you bring people back together and unite them to continue to work effectively together? It depends. Uh, it's a very difficult thing, and I don't mean to simplify it, but I would put sort of breakage of trust or failures in two categories. One is mistakes. Uh, There are times when you may trust somebody to be able to do something and then find out that he's simply not able. Uh, And that's different than a trust that's that's broken based on on a failure of personal integrity or a failure of team loyalty. I think in the first, uh, it's repairable. Uh, You can teach people, work with people, retrain people, reintegrate them into a team where the trust was built on, on where where the trust was broken on a lack of ability. Uh, But I think the second one has to be dealt with much more harshly where there's a a violation of personal integrity or team loyalty. Uh, That that trust is is much more difficult to rebuild and the, the better solution is usually to remove that person. Hmm. Uh, from that team. And, and how are conflicts resolved? You know, what are red flags on a SEAL team, and what do you do about them? That's what leaders are for. Leaders are intended. I mean, their position is to pay attention, to observe uh, anomalies, look for red flags, and then look into what causes them to occur. I think that if something smells bad or looks bad, just doesn't seem right, um, there's usually something wrong with it. And it's up to a leader to uh, to explore the origin of, of those kinds of things. Um, 
I personally believe that investigation on whatever level uh, is a good thing uh, when something doesn't look right, uh, whether it's a formalized investigation uh, by a team or whether it's simply an informal look into something. But I do think that, uh, that taking action, early action, as early as possible to correct uh, the conditions that lead to red flags uh, is good. Make, them, make those decisions as quickly as possible. Mm-hmm. I've heard you say in the past that some of the best ideas come from the bottom up, which I think is uh, very relevant uh, for how our entrepreneurs are building businesses today in Silicon Valley. Um, I, I think some of the you know, some of the best entrepreneurs think that the, the companies are built from the top down, and you know, the ones with the most humility, I think, you know, believe that you know all opinions matter. And uh, we'd love for you to touch on that a bit. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and and I'm always happy to talk about how the best ideas uh, tend to come from the team. And and I said sort of maybe my first comment in, uh, in this conversation was about the ability. The, re- the requirement for a leader to learn fearlessly. One of my favorite quotes about this from an old mentor of mine is when the map differs from the terrain, you got to go with the terrain. And uh, leaders who fall in love with their own ideas, their own plans to the point where they can't fall out of love with them uh, can be dangerous, um, unwilling to to factor in uh, what is actually happening. Any good leader has a responsibility to go outside of his or her own brain to listen to uh, whatever input uh, can be uh, solicited. It's, it's almost all of some value. And the more lenses a leader can see a problem through, the more perspectives a leader uh, can take on a problem. Uh, the more nuanced uh, the consideration of the problem, the better the ultimate decision is likely to be. So I'm a, I'm a big fan of, of leaders sort of doing their homework uh, into a decision by collecting as much information they can from anybody who might uh, have a view on it. But, uh, but I also believe, as I said up front, that, that leadership is not democratic. And when it comes to actually making a decision the leader's got to be courageous enough to take all the input thank everybody for uh, for what they had to say uh, make a decision that may be contrary to some of the input uh, that he or she received and uh, and may include some of the other input uh, but ultimately uh, the decision has to be made by the person who is going to be held accountable for the outcome and uh you know, shame on the leader who doesn't consider as much as possible in, in, in arriving at that uh, decision, uh, but also shame on the leader who thinks that somehow accountability can be distributed among all the people uh, who gave him input along the way. So, so, so training is, is a major part of being a Navy SEAL, physical training, but also mental training. You know, how can entrepreneurs apply these same techniques to prepare themselves and their teams for success in business day to day? Yeah, so training never ends. Uh, you know, physical training, as I mentioned, is important. Stamina is important. The ability to be in the front, to not be the first one to fall asleep, to not be the first one to go home. I think that uh, teams expect that of their leaders, whether they're military or private sector uh, leaders. And I think the 
the mental toughness is essentially the the toughness gained through solving hard problems um, and the and the ability to understand um, that there's always a solution, probably a better solution, uh, and that the problem solving to get there is not easy. It's not simple. There's always a complexity and a fatigue involved with solving a problem in the best way, and leaders need to train themselves uh, to do that. And uh, the best leaders I know in their free time um, solve problems. Uh, in in some way, they take on something uh, where the outcome depends on their ability to uh, to make decisions and actions that will solve some problem. And and so I think that I think that that has to become a lifestyle uh, for the best leaders, um, bringing imagination to every situation, uh, looking for ways, new ways to do things. And and so I think that that is part of the training, the physical and mental training applicability in the private sector. So I think, again, that entrepreneurs who who tend to teach how to think, not what to think, um, but tell people what to do, not how to do it, are the ones who are going to be most successful as long as they do that without sacrificing uh, the element of control and accountability that they have to have uh, in order to be um, uh, responsible for the outcome. So in your career, you've been involved with some pretty stressful situations from helping shape the strategy around uh, the bin Laden raid in, in Pakistan to uh, fighting in the Mogadishu battle, better known as uh, Black Hawk Down. Uh, what are some of the, the takeaways uh, in a leader, in a leadership role like you had in those events uh, that you would like to share with the audience? Yeah, Jordan. So <laughs> the, the way you ask the question, I can tell that you're kind of itching for a war story. <laughs> about a about a stressful situation, uh, but I'll, I'll just tell you up front that I think that um, those are not the the kind of stressful situations that most people need to uh, that we're that we're talking about here. I think that you know, obviously you mentioned the Bin Laden raid, and I clearly wasn't on it or um, or immediately close to it. I, I had sort of a peripheral role and it was very stressful to watch, uh, for example, a helicopter crash, uh, as, as it approaches bin Laden's compound. But at that point, you know, planning and training and trust and adrenaline and the communications, uh, take charge. Um, and, and everybody, you have to, you have to count on everybody doing what it was they were trained to do, what they rehearsed, uh, what they trained to do as backup plans and rehearsed as backup plans. And, and those kind of stressful situations uh, resolve themselves based largely on preparation. I think there's more stress in, revolving, in resolving situations that have built up over time. And if you're looking for a story about one of those, I'll just tell you that um, – yeah, at one point in my career, I I was facing a serious disagreement with the senior enlisted members of our force, um, who deserve our greatest trust and respect, um, because they are the ones who serve as the day-to-day -day role models, managers, and leaders of the much larger community. But I was at odds with them over how the SEAL Trident 
itself uh, should be awarded, who should have the authority to award that. And, and for many, many years, decades, we had it had been the reserved right of a specific SEAL team. Each SEAL team reserved the right to determine who should receive that SEAL badge after some months of a probationary and evaluation period. And, and I was of a mind that nobody knew those potential SEALs, those future SEALs better than the people who had, the instructors had put them through training for uh, for several months. And so I I took a move to 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 shift the authority to award that SEAL badge uh, to the commander of our training system, not each individual SEAL teams, and that was considered uh, an affront uh, at each of the SEAL teams. And and so we had a we had a large meeting. I think 54 people showed up, and and it was almost total disagreement. But with with what I was doing, but in the end. Uh, I think the approach of listening carefully, asking questions, figuring out where they were coming from, pointing out uh, flaws or more accurately, probably inconsistencies across the force and the way the current system was, pointing out that it was patently unfair to some people who had gone to interim schools and, and had their awarding of their trident delayed in some cases by several months. Well, they were in other schools. Um, ultimately, I made the decision, and uh, and the last thing that you say after such a decision, of course, is uh, kind of what I said up front. You've all had your opportunity to make an input. Is there anybody who feels that I didn't listen to them? And when nobody raised their hand, it was, okay, this is a decision, and now it's a collective decision. Everybody go execute as if it was your own. And uh, and it turned out the timing that was pretty good. Uh, it was just a few months before 911. All the teams got really busy doing other things. Uh, as it turned out, I had unburdened the teams uh, from that additional responsibility, and, and in the end it worked out just fine. But I, I think it sort of was the in a microcosm. It was everything I've talked about here for the last several minutes is is the willingness to take varying opinions, consider them, um, build a consensus, ultimately make a decision for which uh, you can be held accountable, and then bring the team on board to execute it. And uh, and, and we did it, and it worked. Um, so so I guess that's my story. I, I appreciate that. And you know, what's, what's one thing you would do differently as the former commander of the special operations if you had the chance? The sort of bottom line, though, crossing across all that, and what would I have sort of done better? And I think it's really sort of what advice would you give to uh, to other people? It's it's to just not go against your own better judgment. I think it was actually John McCain who said that the only decisions he ever regretted were the ones that where he let other people have too much influence. And I think there's a very important aspect of trusting your own instincts uh, when you're in charge uh, because nobody cares as much about the outcome as the person who's accountable for it. And uh, people are willing to throw out experimental ideas, um, throw, you know, information into the mix uh, that may or may not help arrive at a better decision. And so I think all that has to be considered. But in the end, trusting one's own instincts uh, where one has 
um, good knowledge, uh, and certainly the highest uh, level of interest in success is uh, is the way to go. I appreciate you sharing. You know, as you know, be, being in a leadership role could be a, a very lonely place. You know, my main goal uh, of these interviews is to educate the next generation leaders. And you've clearly helped me accomplish that mission today uh, with your unique perspective. And I want to thank you again for your time. And uh, it means the world to me and my partners. Yep. No, thanks, Jordan. And I uh, wish you the best of luck with this series. I'm honored to have uh, been able to participate in it. All right, my friend. Thank you so much. All right, bye. We'll talk about it.